0: Is the substitute shortage going to improve? What's the latest on school construction? And is it true that school administrators could experience some relief from filling out redundant reports with ISBE? Those questions and more will be answered on the latest IESA podcast. This is the ISA Podcast, and I'm Jason Neville, Director of Social Media and Publications. We're talking about the spring legislative session today in a podcast version of Capital Watch. My guests are ISA's legislative team, Madeline McCune and Emily Warnicke. Uh, ladies, I want to begin sort of with the big picture and just can you kind of give our listeners, uh, let them know how many days left do we have in this session and how many uh, bills is ISA monitoring that could potentially impact public education?
1: Yeah, so... We're not far off, Um, you know, the last day of session right now is scheduled for April 8th. We'll see if that actually holds true. Um, Right now, we're monitoring about 50 bills, I would say, you know, they range from curriculum. um, There's also some relief in regards to reporting. And we've been dealing with some changes to EBF and just kind of a wide scope of issues that we've seen so far. What I will mention, too, is that I think you'll expect to see a, a significant decrease in the amount of legislation that you've seen from last year.
0: What are some of the reasons, uh, you know, you mentioned last year, um, any reason why uh, we're seeing a lot less bills this session?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, this year's a campaign year. I think um, representatives and senators and uh, are looking to be in their districts especially since the maps were just redrawn and a lot of district boundaries have changed so they want the opportunity to go out and walk their new district lines
0: what's the latest on house bill 1167 uh, formerly known as house bill 2778 this is sort of the paid administrative leave bill that was sort of vetoed uh previously
1: yeah so what i will start off and say is think of the bill in two parts Think of it as the paid administrative leave part, which I'll talk about, and the paycheck protection portion, which is what Emily will talk about. And if you think about it in those two ways, I think it's easier to break down the bill. So the paid administrative leave and the restoration of sick leave is the same that we saw in 2778. There are some new caveats that I believe that make the legislation a bit more doable. So the first one is is that you can require any documentation in regards to uh, employees asking for this uh, restoration of sick leave and paid administrative leave. Um, And what I will also say is that this portion of the legislation only applies so long as the governor has declared a uh, disaster due to a public health emergency related to COVID. So once the governor has lifted that declaration, then this part of the legislation does not apply. So, you know, what you will see is that this bill has changed in the sense of that it used to apply to vaccinated and unvaccinated. Now, this bill simply applies um, to those folks who have been vaccinated. We believe that the legislation acts as an incentive for those to be vaccinated, um, because once the bill passes and becomes law, from that effective date, it allows somebody five weeks to go and get vaccinated. I'm not sure if that'll actually happen, but that's something that I wanted to address too. And I want to hand it over to Emily. She worked really hard on the paycheck protection piece, so...
2: Sure. Thanks, Madeline. So one of the elements of the language in 2778 that kind of flew under the radar when it initially passed in veto session was language that's being referred to as the Paycheck Protection Provision of this bill. So this language amends the current e-learning statute to essentially require school districts to pay educational support personnel, both those who are employed by the district or through a contractor providing those types of services to the district on days when students are not at school due to uh, any kind of school closure. The intent of the language was to ensure that support personnel are not penalized when a district uses a remote or e-learning day. But the original text of the bill would have actually required districts to double pay those employees if the district utilized an emergency day, like a true emergency day, traditional snow day for any reason. So essentially, the employee would have been paid for that emergency day As well as the day at the end of the school year when the student attendance day was made up. So, we were successful in negotiating language with the bill sponsor that would prevent that extra cost to districts. So, the statute now clearly states that it will not apply if the day is made up. So, basically, if someone accepts a job with a district or with a contractor thinking that they'll be paid for 180 days of work, this part of the bill just seeks to ensure that they get paid for all of those days. The sponsor also clarified on the House floor for us during debate that this legislation does not intend to require school districts to pay for what we've been referring to as the like consumable costs that a contractor may include in their contracts for e-learning days. So, for example, gas, fuel costs, um, any costs assessed for vehicle maintenance or mileage for routes which we think is important to highlight, as we know districts might be working on contracts for next school year around this time. So I thought that was important to to highlight as well.
0: As you discussed earlier, that the General Assembly has taken up a number of bills to address the substitute shortage. Uh, I think it's around a half dozen or so. Uh, Can you just kind of give listeners a sense of just how much of this slate of bills could sort of move the needle in uh, helping schools uh, find substitute teachers to fill classrooms?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, there has been a lot of discussion at the Capitol about the teacher and substitute shortage, as well as how difficult the last few years have been for school employees in general. And while the teacher shortage issue is significant, most realize that's a problem that's going to take a lot longer conversation in order to be able to solve. The substitute shortage, however, was something that legislators felt they could help with immediately with a few piecemeal measures. So the legislation that we see moving right now ranges from allowing retired teachers to work 140 rather than 120 days per school year, um, allowing a substitute teacher to teach for 120 days for any one teacher in a given school year rather than 90, which is the current language, um, allowing someone with a short-term license to sub for 15 consecutive days rather than five in the same classroom. Uh, eliminating the fee for a sublicense and allowing students and teacher prep programs to obtain a sublicense after successful completion of 90 credit hours in their program. We realize these proposals may have a, a limited impact in districts across the state, but we also know that every little bit can help right now. The one thing we wanted to point out though about these legislative proposals is that most of these measures either expire once a disaster proclamation is no longer declared or in June of this school year is when many of them sun sunset. So um, superintendents can review the specifics of these bills and the timelines in the Capitol Watch we distributed last week.
0: Uh, Speaking of Capitol Watch, we've sent out a couple uh, call to actions and blasts on uh, a number of proposals related to uh, performance evaluation. Why is there such kind of a big push by legislators to take up this issue this year?
1: Yeah, so what I think is happening is that like Emily mentioned, I think the general assembly is very aware that there is a teacher shortage and a sub a sub shortage issue that we're seeing right now. And I think most people most people who are going to listen to this, you know, are like, of course, Madeline, we know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, what I think is going on is people think that they with changes, let's say to para and the performance evaluation and you know, 10 year They think that those changes are going to see immediate results to teacher shortage, Um, and actually some of the legislation we believe would actually be harmful to that. So I think it's with good intention, but I think the policy actually does the opposite of, of the intention itself.
0: Where do things stand today? You know, we've sent out a couple of those capital watches called Action Blast. Are, are we getting some movement on these bills? Is there a chance that some of these proposals are going to be studied by PIAC a little bit longer uh, before uh, taking effect?
1: Yeah, so we've had some good movement. I want to say I uh, we really, really appreciate um, everybody engaging with the capital watch we sent out about changes to tenure. I think that had a really great effect Um, The House sponsor decided not to move the bill, and I really think that the emails you sent to your legislators helped uh, us accomplish that. What I will say is that there is a similar bill in the Senate, and it did get an extension deadline, so we're still going to be monitoring that. But we believe that bill still needs to go back to committee because during the last committee discussion, it was mentioned that um, there was a possibility of an amendment. But what I will say is that there has been good movement, I think, since these bills have been proposed. There was also a resolution by Senator Lightford that was charging the PEC committee to go back and evaluate the parrot process. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I have gotten word from ISBE that PEC has started those discussions.
0: Uh, curriculum and programming, every uh, legislative session, there's always going to be bills. Introduced requiring uh, school districts to certain t- teach certain areas, certain subject matters. What are some of the key bills ISA is monitoring uh, this this uh, legislative session related to curriculum and programming?
2: Sure. So we did see a number of curriculum and programming um, pieces of legislation that were introduced, but most of them did not get taken up or did not make it through committee. There are a couple though that have made their way through. One of them is House Bill 3296. It's a proposal that would essentially aim to mandate the implementation of the PACE framework that was created with the passage of the Post-Secondary and Workforce Readiness Act in 2016. That framework and then the subsequent college and career pathway endorsements that have been implemented have been operating through pilot programs or optional implementation in districts across the state. And this bill essentially seeks to move more districts towards implementation. It would require that districts that enroll students in grades six six through 12 implement career exploration and development activities, which would include the implementation of at least three pathway endorsements being made available for high school students. We did have some concerns with the initial proposal as it was clearly an unfunded mandate, but we were able to work with the proponents to include language that would allow districts to opt out of the implementation under certain circumstances we receive feedback from the field that while most districts would love to implement this and offer it as an option for their students, they still just face a number of barriers to implementation. So we're hopeful that the opt-out language that's now in the current senate amendment version, which would allow districts to consider things like cost, the availability of local business and higher education partners, among other factors, will account for all those barriers. So districts that are still experiencing difficulty making these opportunities available for students will be able to delay implementation for as long as they need to, to be able to implement it with fidelity.
0: It's been sort of a national movement uh, with Republicans regarding kind of parents' rights and uh, with their child's education. We had a press conference uh, with Republicans here in Illinois and they unveiled a a series of bills Any chance any of those uh, bills are going to see the light of day and are are they moving anywhere? Are they going to be kind of stuck in committee?
2: Yeah, thanks for this question, Jason. We have had a few superintendents reach out to us about these bills that were filed a few weeks ago by a handful of representatives. And as you mentioned, did receive some media attention. The short answer is no, these are these are not moving. The proposals in general were packaged as an attempt to improve transparency for the curriculum that is being taught in local districts across the state. And they range from requiring all curriculum and instructional materials to be posted on a district's website, to requiring districts to adopt a policy that parents could inspect materials at any time, to requiring that districts give parents and students the right to opt out of curriculum. Uh, I'm sure most have heard of similar measures being taken up in other states, but ultimately these bills were never called in committee, and we do not see them moving at this time.
0: Uh, evidence-based funding formula, I uh, understand there there is some legislation out there. I know we always get a little bit leery about any change to the formula, but uh, House Bill 4728, um, I don't think this one this one might be uh, something that we're more supportive of. Can you guys kind of discuss what, what that bill would do?
1: Yeah, so this bill actually is, um, helpful. Uh, what it does is recognize local loss earlier. So right now, I think one of the things that, you know, probably the professional review panel will have to come back to is that how can EBF account for extreme local loss more quickly? And this piece of legislation attempts to do that. Um, what I will say is that this is a helpful piece of legislation, but there definitely needs to be something taken up by the professional review panel to study this further. I think this affects a lot of districts. And I think what's happening is that if you look at online and you look at what the district is receiving locally, a lot of times when there's a big loss, that doesn't appear quickly. So it does seem like the district is still getting those local dollars and they're not. So I think that you know this bill is a good starting point, but I think there is definitely more conversation to be had.
0: Yeah, there's another bill that uh, is a good starting point, I think, too. Tell me a little bit about HB uh, 5176 and what it does.
2: Sure. So this is a measure that we are actually really excited about. Representative Yednock sponsored the legislation, and Representatives Lewis and Stewart signed on as co-sponsors before it moved over to the Senate, where it was picked up by Senator Resin. And essentially, it seeks to eliminate some of the unnecessary and redundant reporting that's required from our school districts. So we all know there are certain reports that need to be done. This does not try to reduce transparency for district operations or anything like that. It simply takes reports that are duplicative and either eliminates or combines them. So a few examples would be that, like ISV's unfilled position survey and the IARSS Educator Shortage Survey could be merged into one. Um, ISB would have to extract data from the AFR for certain reports rather than that responsibility lying on the district and would actually eliminate the statement affairs report essentially. So there is still some opposition to the language that passed out of the House. So we will continue watching it as it moves through the Senate to see what happens. But we think it's important to note that throughout the negotiations around this bill, ISB has been willing to make some reporting changes that did not necessarily require. A legislative fix. So there has been movement to reduce reporting requirements on districts, even outside of what might end up being listed in this statute if it gets signed into law.
0: Well, I think that's going to be sort of music to a lot of administrators' ears yeah, who are who are yeah. well aware of uh that you know how much time it takes to kind of fill out some of those reports, and it's got to be a little bit frustrating when you when you put the same information in, in one one area, then you got to do it again and again and again. So. Um, School construction uh, update, kind of what's the latest? There's a bill sort of out there. Um, Can you kind of clarify what's kind of going on with uh, school construction?
1: Yeah. So House Bill 3637 uh, is sponsored by Representative Bennett, and it passed out of the House, um, I think, last week. And essentially, it is a bill that has taken the task force report from school construction that was finalized back in 2020, I believe. And so essentially, you know, after years of just, you know, static with school construction funding, um, you know, the house has passed a bill that would allow new grants to be approved if the general assembly appropriates funding, uh, ISBE will continue to be responsible for prioritizing grants and districts that had received approval for projects in 04, 05 and 06, and whose grants are chosen through the new procedure which they have to reapply if they're on those lists may have their required local match reduced and the grant award amount may be increased by an amount determined by the capital development board so this bill is something that we're hoping uh, will make it through the senate it passed through the house um, with broad bipartisan support and we know isby is really behind the legislation as well um, what we are hopeful of is that there isn't any more changes to the bill we've seen a lot of amendments on it so we're hoping that we see like a final version soon but i would expect us to release maybe just a capital watch on this particular bill this is a kind of complicated technical issue and we want to be sure that you know our membership is able to know what's going on with this especially if they're on those certain 0405 list and 06 so um but yeah, we're excited. I, I really do think we I really do think this can make it to the governor's desk and be signed in the law.
0: There were some news stories and uh, legislation introduced uh, some school administrators probably saw it about uh, providing mental uh, teachers with mental health days. But I think I understand there's been an amendment filed to that. How does the amendment change the bill?
2: Sure. So mental health and educator fatigue was certainly a hot topic this year. There does seem to be a real sense from legislators that they know educators and administrators are stressed and going through a lot after these last two years. So there was a real desire to show support through a legislative measure The original bill was written as just an allowance for five mental health days per year for any full time employee, which would have been in addition to any sick leave allotment that those employees already have. And those days would not have been able to be carried into the next year if unused or turned into creditable earnings or anything like that. There was also no requirement to provide any documentation for taking this leave. So we expressed some concerns with that original text and were successful in getting an amendment to the Senate version of that bill that essentially just expanded the definition of sick leave in the statute to include the use of available sick leave to address mental and behavioral health complications. The statute does also allow an employer to request documentation from a mental health professional if a full-time employee uses three days to address mental and behavioral health complications in a year.
0: Uh, we've been on for about 20 minutes now. Uh, let's uh, bring this thing to a close. Uh, any other bills or issues, things you guys want to highlight? Final thoughts?
1: Yeah, I would you know, just say, once again, um, if you go to the IASA website and check out the governmental relations page, we have made um, a couple of updates. You can see our bill tracker, so that's uh, membership access only, and that'll give you a good rundown of what's moving and what's not and what the status of the legislation is. And then, you know, we've also paired with One Click Politics, which you guys have seen through our campaigns, some of our email campaigns. Um, you know, keep an eye out for maybe additional campaigns to come later this month, maybe early April before legislative session wraps up. But um yeah, I don't know if Emily wants to add anything either, but yeah, that that's kind of my
2: ending shtick. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we covered it.
0: <laughs> All right. Thank you for uh, being on the uh, ISA podcast.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Jason. <laughs>